It's October 6, 2019, and everybody hates Amber, except for the judge, the jury, and the victim's family. But everybody else hates her. Going to talk a little bit about the iconic show Double Dare. Going to go across the lines with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, and the tag team Demolition. And hater appreciation for Miss Clueless, Stacey Dash. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. How's your mother? She doing better? Take care, kid. You also get to hear about things I don't like. Like you confuse mixed nuts who don't know which box to check. Black or white. It's always black. Always put the X on black. In those Michigan State Spartans. Not today, Spartans. Not today. What's up, everybody? I am your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Treblack, Reefer Sutherland, Sir Blunt Smokington, Steven Cigar, Steve G. And this is over the culture, you little motherfuckers. So I woke up this Sunday morning to find out that there was another mass shooting. According to CNN, nine people were shot at a private Kansas City bar overnight, and authorities say the assailant is on the run. The shooting broke out at 1.27 a.m. Central, so that's 2.27 Eastern a.m. At the Tequila KC Bar in Kansas City, Kansas, police spokesman Thomas Tomasic said. Four of the shooting victims died inside the bar. The five other victims were hospitalized in stable condition Sunday. None of the victims have been publicly identified. The motive remains unclear. The Tequila KC Bar is a private members-only venue, CNN affiliate, KSHB reported. Police found handgun shell casings, at the scene, but it's not clear whether one or more shooters were involved, KSHB said. We do not have good enough description yet to put anything out for suspect or suspects, Tomasic said. We don't even know how many. Detectives are looking for surveillance video of the area. Officers cleared the bar early Sunday morning and were waiting on a search warrant to re-enter it. Can't go anywhere these days, and this was supposed to be a private bar. This is one of the many reasons why I don't even go out anymore. Steve, what you doing tonight? Not shit. Chilling at the crib. Too many of you little motherfuckers. You little motherfuckers. You little niggas, man. There's too many of you motherfuckers out here, man. Wanting to run up and shoot, man. Want to pull up and pop. Why can't people just have a grown adult good time? Whatever happened to that? Going out, get your drink on, get your smoke on, get your two step. Grind up on the booty of two. Get some numbers. It's a win. Nope. Times have changed. Now. It's. Get my free base on. Put my trench coat. My cowboy boots. Or whatever. Get my shotgun. Lock and unload. Open fire. Open season. Let's go into this bar and play Grand Theft Auto. 
Halo. Call of Duty. Man, I'd much rather just go to the liquor store, get a bottle, and bring it back to the crib. But really, I don't even drink anymore. So really, (laughs) my idea of a good time is watching WWE Network, smoking and chilling. I'd much rather do that than going into a bar full of fucking drunk assholes where I could potentially get popped upside the head. And that'll be my last Long Island iced tea. That's all she wrote for Steve G. Nope, I'm good. Call me lame as fuck. I'd rather be lame and alive than trying to be cool and six feet under. 36, I'd like to see 37. And hey, if I'm lucky, knock on wood, might see 38. Yeah, man, we're taking it day by day. You have to these days. Can't go to the Walmart without fearing for your life. Can't go to the bar. Can't go to the clubs without fearing for your life. And I've been saying for years, man, that the older I get, these bars and these clubs are like hell. They have like a real satanic vibe. It's dark. Music's blaring. People are under a spell. They're under the influence by some substance or by some alcohol. They don't even have control of their minds. They don't even have control of themselves. Feel vulnerable. You're around zombies. It's in the wee hours. There's nothing good. They they always say that for a reason. There's nothing good that happens after midnight. Nothing good. And you can have good intentions. You can have no malice in your heart whatsoever. But you can get caught in the crossfire easily. I had a cousin that got caught in the crossfire last year here in Sandusky. Just being out and about. Some not so unfriendly fire. Not so friendly fire caught him, man. And luckily he survived. But that's just, you know, being out with the people. You never know, man. Who's beefing with who? I don't want no smoke, man, with nobody, bro. Fuck that shit. It's not that serious. People are pettier, I feel. Man, people are getting to fights over Facebook shit. You told these motherfuckers I don't have milk? I'm gonna beat your ass. Wait, wait, you think you better than me because you get to wash your clothes every week? Fuck you. Yeah, man. This is an era of grown-ass adult children. People don't fight anymore, man. You don't scrap. You pull out the strap. Text yourselves, people. And we live in this xenophobic world now where people are super cautious don't communicate as much we're closed off we're more involved with our phones than with each other we're just tuned out now we're locked up locked in Four people died in that bar. And they went out with the intention of having a good time to get their mind off of shit, the strife of life. But nope, their life's gone. Four people, lives taken. 
and five are injured. The possibility of losing their life. It's something they did not expect. It's a constant reminder that we shouldn't take today for granted. Let's be thankful that we did wake up, that we're able to do something with our lives, that that's a possibility, that we have that option. Let's not, let's not take for granted that we are free. We're not locked up. That's another thing we take for granted, our freedom and our lives in general. Those five people that are still with us, uh, I hope that they make a speedy recovery. They didn't, they didn't deserve that. And also the Amber Geiger case, a lot of people are in an uproar about her only getting 10 years. They should have gave her more year. They should have gave her life. They, uh, a lot of people are angry with, uh, with the victim, Botham Jean's family. Jean's brother requested that if he could give her a hug after the hearing, um, then the father, there's video of him saying that one day he would like to be her friend. And it's hard for me to put myself in that position. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have your son wrongfully murdered or your brother wrongfully murdered. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine. Um, I'm not in their shoes. I hope to never be in their shoes. Um, it, it's good to see them at least taking the high road. Um, and I, I feel like it's unfair for me to say what I would do in that situation because I'm not. And, um, and you never know. You never know what you would do until, you know, you're in that situation. And I, I'd like to think I'd take a high road and not hold on to anger for the rest of my life because that's not going to do anything but hurt me. What good is it going to do me? What good is it going to do my family? But at the same time, I feel like there's a little coonish element. Uh, I don't know if I'm immediately trying to give her a hug. The person who took my brother's life wrongfully and he was unarmed, resting, watching TV at his own home and you broke into his home and you shot him. I don't know if I want to hug you. I don't even know if I want to look at your honky ass. I don't know if I want to even fucking look in your direction. Fuck Amber Geiger, man. Um, you know, in the father, I'd like to be her friend one day. I don't even know about that. Um, I do know about one day I'd like to forgive her, but being her friend, man, y'all got to chill out with this shit, man. We just pray it away and leave it. No, man, like you got to hold motherfuckers accountable, man. She was wrong. Fuck a mistake. There's a fucking placemat right in front of the door. You could see that the furniture, none of this shit looks like your apartment. What the fuck are you doing in here? If it's not like, and why? Aren't you using your key? Like you just walked in and you just started capping. That bitch is wrong. Capital W wrong, man. I get it. Yeah, you're supposed to forgive at some point in your life because, you know, that doesn't make you any better. You got to forgive. You have to. You have no choice but to or you're just going to be dwelling in a, in a dark place. I get that. But I, man, fuck being your friend. 
I got enough friends. I got some real friends. I got some family I can call my friends. But shit, fuck that. Y'all gotta chill with that shit, man. Hold motherfuckers accountable. And then the judge giving her a hug. And then the bailiff fucking playing with their hair. It's just the fucking coonish ass court, man. Where did y'all get these Negroes from? What part of Dallas do y'all live in? Fuck all of that shit. You got the brother giving her a hug. The dad wants to be her buddy. The judge is fucking hugging her and man this has never happened if this was a brother i hate to be that guy but fuck it i will say it if this was a brother he would not be getting this kind of treatment everybody would look at him funny style the jury the judge the prosecution the victim's family they're all gonna look a fucking bullet through his head they're gonna stare a laser through his dome Man, my people, I swear we are some of the most forgiving, oh, pray, we just gonna pray it away type of people, man. Look, man, stop this punk shit. Y'all just let any and everybody do whatever to us, and as long as they can uh, walk side by side us in in Jesus' name, all is well. Look, man, you leave it up to that mother. If that's what you believe in, you leave it up to that man, okay? All right, but, or one man, whatever, but... You took my family member, you took my brother, you took my son. No, bitch, you gotta pay fucking punk ass 10 years man i have family members who did more time for non-violent offenses okay for alleged non-violent offenses i have a family member that did 15 years and didn't shoot nobody didn't fucking assault anyone no 10 punk ass years and then the jury they had the fucking two jurors interviewed i truly believe both from gene it it, if it was up to him he wouldn't want her to do life motherfucker how do you know are you you got esp now you have the sixth sense how the fuck you oh man it's just an uneasy feeling watching this whole ordeal make this bitch gin pop make amber geiger gin pop again make her gin pop Make that a fucking hat. Make her gin pop again. Put her in gin pop so she can get eaten by the fucking bull dagging ass bull f- daggery. Olay, olay. Amber is on her way. I don't know, man. Maybe my jail experts can can tell me better, but I don't know how that works. If she will even get in a gin pop or what. Uh... I would hope so, so she can get eaten up. In the words of racist-ass Mel Gibson, I hope you get raped by a pack of niggas. Damn, Mel Gibson, you really did say that shit. That's not even how you quantify niggas, Mel Gibson. And also, Josh Brown, the star witness, he was murdered on Friday. Conspiracy? I don't know. Coincidence? Maybe. Who knows now? They say they don't even know if it was tied to the Amber Geiger case, but we do know that a star witness was murdered on Friday. What are the details behind that? Maybe we will have to stay tuned in and see.
or at least we'll see what they're willing to share with us. Yesterday, the Michigan State Spartans visited Columbus, had my Buckeyes shaking in their cleats. JK, JK, Dobbins that is, who ran for 67-yard touchdown because fuck the Michigan State Spartans. You motherfuckers think you want to spoil our season like you did in 99 and like you beat us in the Big Ten Championship some years ago? Nope, not going to happen this time. 34 to 10, 34 to 10, you assholes. Mark D'Antoni, I fucking do not like you. You have that same smug Bill Belichick look on your face that I just want to punch out repeatedly over and over and over i don't like you your belichick jr smug ways you belichick and nick saban uh all of you just have very punchable faces does it hurt you to smile sometimes you guys have seen success why do you have to look so evil all the time i guess it's because you have no fucking hearts all right because maybe you're psychopaths but anyways you lost buckeyes win 34-10, 34-10, fucking Spartans, give me your Draymonds, ugh, I wanna punch him too, ugh, I do like Izzo, I do like Magic Johnson, but that's where it stops, Michigan State Spartans, yeah, Sherry O'Terry and Will's fucking Pharaoh couldn't even cheer you on to a victory, yeah, you can't do this, we do this, blackout baby, 34-10. On another note, Bowling Green Falcons got dismantled by Notre Dame on national television. Uh, 52 zip. Hey, Ziggy Zumba. Go Falcons. Cowboys play the Packers. We need redemption, Cowboys. Goddamn Aaron Rodgers. Took us out of the playoffs a couple years ago, and then the following year, you beat us again. I do not like you, Aaron Rodgers. Discount and double check my ass. Dak ain't forgot. Zeke ain't forgot. Witten ain't forgot. My third cousin on the white side, Jason Garrett, ain't forgot. Uncle Jerry ain't forgot. Roy Jones ain't forgot. But yeah, we're coming for you, Aaron. Today, this afternoon, 425, be there. And them Browns, they play the 49ers tomorrow. Monday Night Football. Browns right now at the top of their division, AFC North, and Niners, they're 3-0. and So hopefully we can put up a fight. Come on, Dog Pound, show them what we're about. SmackDown had their season premiere on Fox uh, this past Friday. Overall, it was a well-done production. I did not like the fact that Kofi lost within 10 seconds. Uh, I, I feel like the buildup was off or not. I was expecting to see a match and it was a squash. Kofi runs to Brock Lesnar only for Brock Lesnar to do his F5. Boom. Grand opening, grand closing. One, two, three. We have a new champion. But out comes Cain Velasquez for the big finish. Yeah. Had Brock stuttering. Stutter stepping. Backpedaling. Cain Velasquez, I guess he signed on to WWE. They're going to have an angle now. His arch nemesis from his UFC days took Brock Lesnar out in the first round. He's a beast. He's a hoss. 
I do like Brock Lesnar though, man. He is the beast. Representing the Midwest. And Paul Heyman, one of the greatest managers of all time. I have to say him, Bobby Heenan, and Jim Cornette. Those are my top three right there. But man, overall, SmackDown was was pretty good. The Rock made his uh, appearance, held it down, took down King Corbin, along with the man, Becky Lynch. Tonight's the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, so it'll be interesting to see if anything from last Friday will carry over. It's going to be Seth Rollins and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Going to have Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks, Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns versus Rowan and Harper. Going to have Bailey and Charlotte Flair. Now, on paper, those are potentially great matches. Come on, Vince. Hunter, don't let me down. I'm expecting to see a quality pay-per-view tonight. Yeah, Hell in the Cell. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Today in sports history, in 1908, the Tigers beat the White Sox 7-zip to win the AL pennant. In 1911, Cy Young's farewell appearance in a major league game is a letdown as he loses to Brooklyn 13-3 in a Braves uniform in his 906th game. 1926, Babe Ruth hits three home runs in a World Series game. Yankees beat the Cardinals 10-5. In 1936, the New York Yankees beat the Giants four games to two in the 33rd World Series. In 1941, the New York Yankees beat the Dodgers four games to one in the 38th World Series. In 1945, tavern owner Billy Goat Giannis buys seat for his goat for game four of the Baseball World Series, and he's escorted out and cast a goat curse on the Chicago Cubs. 1947, the New York Yankees beat the Dodgers four games to three in the 44th World Series. In 1963, the LA Dodgers sweep the New York Yankees in the 60th World Series. In 1966, Oriole Jim Palmer is the youngest to pitch a World Series shutout at 20 years old. 1969, the New York Mets sweep the Atlanta Braves in the National League Championship 3-zip, and on that same day, the Baltimore Orioles beat the Minnesota Twins three games to zero in the American League Championship. The Mets would go on to win that year's World Series. In 1971, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the San Francisco Giants three games to one in the National League Championship. In 1977, the Yankees win the AL pennant by rallying for three runs in the ninth to beat the Kansas City Royals five to three in the fifth in deciding playoff game. In 1979, Baltimore Orioles beat the California Angels three games to one in the AL Championship. In 1985, Yankee Phil Negro becomes the 18th pitcher to win 300 games and also at 46 becomes the oldest to pitch a shutout, beating Toronto 8-zip. In 1988, the Oakland A's sweep the Boston Red Sox in four games for the AL pennant. In 1991, New York Met David Cohn ties the NL record by striking out 19 Phillies. In 1993, after nine seasons and three championships with the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan announces his retirement from the NBA. And that was a sad day for the 10-year-old Steve G. At this point, Hulk Hogan had left WWF. I didn't know if I should follow Bret Hart. Should I follow Lex Luger? Who is my guy now? I need to have a guy if I'm going to keep watching this. Who do I follow? Michael Jordan left now. No Hogan. No Jordan. Who do I follow now? Charles Barkley? Shaquille O'Neal? I don't know. I didn't know which direction to go in. This was a lost time for Steve G. Oh man. 
But Hogan came back and Jordan came back and all was well with the world. In 2010, Phillies ace Roy Holiday pitches only second no-hitter in MLB postseason history in Game 1 of the NLDS, 4-zip versus the Cincinnati Reds. And that was my half-assed sports report. On this day in 1986, the game show Double Dare premiered. Its original run was from 1986 to 1993. A revival ran in 2000, and a new revival began on June 25, 2018. The program originally appeared on Nickelodeon as its first game show. Almost immediately after its debut, Double Dare had more than tripled viewership for Nickelodeon's afternoon lineup, becoming the most-watched original daily program on cable television. The program was a major success for Nickelodeon, helping to establish the network as a major player in cable TV and to revitalize the genre of game shows for children. Double Dare remains Nickelodeon's longest-running game show. In January 2001, TV Guide ranked the show number 29 on its list of 50 greatest game shows. And last but not least, we can't overlook the MC who started this gangster shit. Not to be confused with Mark Winters, Mark Springs, or Mark Falls, but Mark motherfucking Summers. So Double Dare was a quiz slash stunt show on Nickelodeon and is arguably the greatest children's game show. Teams answered questions to earn money, trying to be the leader after the end of two rounds. The team in control could answer a question, ask to them or dare the other team, letting them try to answer for double the money. The other team could then double dare in return, doubling the value again, four times the amount, running up the bag. Once a question had been dared or double dared, an incorrect answer would award money to the opposing team. Once the question had been double dared back to the first team, they had to either answer or take the physical challenge, where they competed in a timed stunt in order to win the money and retain control of the round. These challenges and the whole show in extension were famed for being very messy and ridiculous and of course getting people covered in slime. Contestants also competed in messy stunts at the beginning of each round to see who would get the first question as well as in the bonus round. Oh yes, the bonus round. Going down that slide to land in a life-size ice cream sundae. That cherry was as big as my head. I always wanted to pop that cherry. Yes, kids, that's what life's about. Finding that perfect slide to go down that leads you to that ice cream sundae so that you can pop cherries. Those physical challenges were lit. Liddy. G. Gordon Liddy. Remember that giant nose you had to pick with the large finger? Remember that large ear you had to pick with the giant Q-tip? I like to think that wax was made out of caramel or some edible substance. Remember family double dare? Kids got to play with their parents on the team. And sometimes they had the opportunity to slime their parents and chuck shit at their faces. Yeah, mom. Remember that time you made me clean up my room? How about you clean this cherry pie off your face? You don't have the answers? Pie in the face. You can't ride this tricycle back and forth in 30 seconds? Pie in the face. Oversized food. Sam's Club had nothing on double dare. Couch-sized hot dogs. Banana split boats, an abyss of spaghetti, the human burrito, ginormous sushi rolls. They had a Miami Vice episode, Christmas episodes, Halloween episodes, Valentine, Special Olympics episode. They even had a WWF episode with Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, Mr. Perfect, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. More like Hacksaw Jim Thuggin. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Candace Cameron, DJ Eric, Eric Tanner, Jaleel White, fucking Urkel, man, and even Tatiana Ali. 
And who MC this shit? Not Mark Winters, not Mark Springs, not Mark Falls, but Mark, what, what, what would you do, Summers? And his announcer, Harvey. All the contestants went home with some fresh Reeboks, and every now and then, Jeffrey the Giraffe would pop in the studio to see what's up. It's a gangster fucking party, indeed. Mark Summers held this show down as the host for seven years, all while having obsessive compulsive disorder. This is probably the messiest game show that's not Japanese. Bravo, Mr. Summers. I applaud you and your announcer, Harvey. And let's not forget about Robin. Long live Double Dare. Long live Mark. What, what, what would you do, motherfucking Summers? I dare you to find a better children's game show. Matter of fact, I double dare you. When we come back, we're going to go across the lines with three players of the storied franchise New York Yankees in the tag team demolition. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays, Happy 34th birthday to WNBA star Sylvia Fowles of the Minnesota Lynx. She was a regular season MVP, two-time WNBA champion, two-times finals MVP, as well as a three-time gold Olympic medalist. Three-time Super Bowl champ Richard Seymour turns 40 today. English boxer and promoter Ricky Hatton is 41. Happy 46th birthday to basketball Hall of Famer Rebecca Lobo. Amy Jo Johnson, the original Yellow Power Ranger, turns 49. Happy birthday to Elizabeth Shue, who was in such classics as Karate Kid, Adventures in Babysitting, Back to the Future 2, and Piranha 3D. She turns 56 today. Former Major League pitcher Oil Can Boyd is 60. And two-time, two-time Super Bowl champion and Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy turns 64. Happy birthday, guys and gals. On the next episode of Booty and Fight in Atlanta, this bitch pours a drink on that hoe when she finds out they're fucking the same nigga. Tune in to VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta, a show filled with cattiness, rattiness, fake tits, fake boobs, wigs, weaves, and most importantly, niggas. VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta. Are you tired of being called the beanpole? Are you mad at your mammaries? Have they been mistaken for mosquito bites? Does your push-up bra need a push-up bra? Too embarrassed to wear a bikini at the beach because everyone will think you're a boy in drag? To that I say, OBGY, are you allowing yourself to suffer when the Itty Bitty Titty Committee is here to help you? Itty Bitty Titty Committee. IBTC is an outreach program dedicated to providing counseling and therapy sessions for women who weren't gifted with guns. For those who really want implants but can't afford them at the moment. In the meantime, we'll boost your confidence with affirmation training, gymnastic therapy, and group hugs. Micromastia is no laughing matter. It has become one of the leading factors of stress for women aged 25 to 40 in the last eight days. Stress can lead to depression, and as we know, depression can get the breast of us. You're not the only one with lowercase a cups. There's a whole community out there ready and available to help you in your time of need. Call 1-800-419-IBTC. Itty bitty titty committee.
a special mention to those no longer with us. This past Friday, we lost American actress, singer, and model Diane Carroll. Born Carol Diane Johnson in Bronx, New York City, New York, July 17, 1935, she rose to prominence in some of the earliest major studio films to feature black casts, including Carmen Jones and Porgy and Bess. In 1962, Carol won a Tony Award for Best Actress, a first for a black woman for her role in the Broadway musical No Strings. Carol was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1997. She said the diagnosis stunned her because there was no family history of breast cancer and she had always led a healthy lifestyle. She underwent nine weeks of radiation therapy and had been clear since. She frequently spoke of the need for early detection and prevention of the disease. Carol died of cancer on October 4, 2019 in Los Angeles, aged 84. This past Monday, we lost American opera singer and recitalist Jesse Norman. A dramatic soprano, Norman sang a broad repertoire and avoided being limited to one kind of style. She famously stated, pigeonholes are for pigeons, and that she was attracted to the unusual. A towering figure on operatic concert and recital stages, she was associated with roles including Bartok's Judith, Beethoven's Lenore, and Bizet's Carmen, just to name a few. The New York Times music critic Edward Rothstein described her voice as a grand mansion of sound and wrote that it was enormous dimensions, reaching backward and upward. It opens onto unexpected vistas. It contains sunlit rooms, narrow passageways, cavernous halls. Miss Norman is the regal mistress of this domain, with a physical presence suited to her vocal expanse. Norman died at Mount Sinai St. Luke's Hospital in Manhattan on September 30th, 2019, age 74, from multiple organ failure and septic shock, secondary to complications from a spinal cord injury she suffered in 2015. Just this morning, we lost English drummer and co-founder of the rock band Cream, Ginger Baker. Born Peter Edward Baker, August 19, 1939, in Lewisham, South London, England. His work in the 1960s earned him the reputation of rock's first superstar drummer, while his individual style melded a jazz background with African rhythms. He is credited as having been a pioneer of drumming in such genres as jazz fusion and world music. In February 2013, Baker said he had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease from years of heavy smoking and chronic back pain from degenerative osteoarthritis. In June 2016, it was reported he was recovering from open heart surgery, but had also suffered a bad fall from caused swollen legs and feet. In September 2019, his family announced he was critically ill and asked fans to keep him in their prayers. While it was announced Baker was holding his own three days later, he eventually died on six. While it was announced Baker was holding his own three days later, he eventually died on October 6, 2019 at the age of 80 at a hospital in Canterbury. In Bruno Sammartino, born October 6, 1935, as Bruno Leopoldo Francesco Sammartino in Pisaferrato, Italy, was an Italian-born American professional wrestler best known for his work with the World Wrestling Federation. There, he held the WWF World Heavyweight Championship for more than 11 years across two reigns, the first of which is the longest single reign in the promotion's history of 2,803 days. San Martino underwent heart surgery in 2011. He died on April 18, 2018 at the age of 82 from multiple organ failure due to heart problems following a two-month hospitalization. WWE honored his life with a 10-bell salute before a house show in Cape Town later that day, and again on April 23rd episode of Raw in St. Louis. Mayor Bill Peduto remembered him as one of the greatest ambassadors the city of Pittsburgh ever had. Rest easy, you guys.
The New York Yankees are easily the most successful professional sports team in the United States. They've won 19 American League East Division titles, 40 American League pennants, and 27 World Series championships, all of which are MLB records. The Yankees have more titles than any other franchise in the four major North American sports leagues. Most of those World Series victories were won in the early 20th century. 14 of them were won by at least one of three players, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and or Joe DiMaggio. And on three separate occasions, the Yankees won the World Series on October 6th. On October 6, 1936, they defeated the Giants four games to two to win that year's World Series. On October 6, 1941, they defeated the Dodgers four games to one. And on October 6, 1947, they beat the Dodgers again four games to three. Twelve years later, on October 6, 1959, Barry Allen Darso was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If that name doesn't sound familiar, it's because he's better known as one half of the tag team wrestling duo of Axe and Smash, Demolition. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually, he's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. Demolition first started their WWF debut on the January 17, 1987 edition of Superstars, alongside manager Luscious Johnny Valiant. They began as the WWF's answer to the Road Warriors. The original lineup consisted of Randy Colley as Smash and Bill Eady as Axe. Demolition wore studded black leather outfits and leather-covered hockey masks to the ring, which they removed to reveal face paint, usually made up of some combination of black, white, red, or silver colors, though other colors were sometimes included. The tag team wore outfits similar to Lord Humongous of the 1981 film Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, while their face paint was reminiscent of hard rock band Kiss. However, in TV interviews, the characters generally compared themselves to another hockey mask villain, Jason Voorhees of the Friday the 13th film series, as well as Freddy Krueger of The Nightmare on Elm Street. After only a few matches, Kali was replaced with Barry Darso in a match aired on the February 14, 1987 edition of Superstars. In a shoot interview with Edie and Darso, Edie said that Kali was replaced because he was too recognizable to the fans as the man who previously performed as Moondog Rex. Edie, however, felt that many WWF fans would not recognize Darso, who had been working for Jim Crockett Promotions as Crusher Khrushchev. Darso had left Crockett following a dispute in order to take over the role of Smash. Around this time, their manager Johnny Valiant sold their contracts to Mr. Fuji, who became their manager. Demolition made an instant impact in the WWF and became known for their aggressive style in the ring and the way that they dominated their matches. They claimed victories over all of the established face tag teams at the time, including the Killer Bees, the Rougeau Brothers, British Bulldogs, the Young Stallions, the Islanders, and the Can-Am Connection. When Babe Ruth joined the Yankees in 1920, he made an instant impact as well. He began setting records left and right. Fans responded with record attendance figures. On May 16th, Ruth and the Yankees drew 38,600 to the polo grounds, a record for the ballpark, and 15,000 fans were turned away. Large crowds jammed stadiums to see Ruth play, and when the Yankees were on the road. On September 4th, he both tied and broke the organized baseball record for home runs in the season with 44. In 1921, he broke the record for most home runs in a career with 138. Every home run after that would just extend his record. He'd finished that season with 59 home runs. The Yankees made their first World Series appearance that year as well, but would fall to the New York Giants, five games to three. They'd play the Giants in the 1922 World Series, but would again 
fail in a four-game sweep. The team's fortunes would change in the 1923 season, as it'd be the first season they'd play in the famous Yankee Stadium. At the home opener on April 18, 1923, Ruth hit a home run at his first appearance. The ballpark was quickly dubbed the house that Ruth built. Midway through that season, future Hall of Famer Lou Gehrig would join the Yankees. Gehrig wore number four because he hit behind Babe Ruth, who batted third in the lineup. He played only 23 games and was not on the roster when they finally got past the Giants, winning the first World Series for the franchise in 1923. With Babe Ruth already breaking records and a young Lou Gehrig on the rise right after in the rotation, the New York Yankees weren't just a World Series winning team, but a world-class wrecking crew. Demolishing the competition, pennant by pennant, series by series. The classic lineup of Bill Eady and Barry Darso as Axe and Smash, respectively, was also a world-class wrecking crew demolishing any tag team or innocent bystander who got in their way. It's just like their song states, here comes the ax and here comes the smasher. Their demolition, walking disaster. Pain and destruction is on its way. Demolition made their pay-per-view debut at Survivor Series in an elimination tag team match. They were disqualified for shoving down referee Dave Ebner during the match. In WrestleMania 4, Demolition defeated Strikeforce to win their first WWF World Tag Team Championship. Axe struck Rick Martell in the back of the neck with Mr. Fuji's cane while he had Smash and a Boston Crab. Martell was knocked out and Smash covered him for the pin while Axe hit outside with the cane. As champions, they defeated a number of the top teams of the WWF, which at the time had a very talent-rich tag division, most notably the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. The Demolition Strikeforce feud ended in July after Rick Martell took a demolition decapitation on the floor. In 1927, the New York Yankees were decapitating the heads of pitchers from stadium to stadium. Lou Gehrig put together one of the greatest seasons by any batter in history, hitting for 373 with 218 hits, 101 singles, 52 doubles, 18 triples, 47 home runs, and 175 RBIs. By this time, the Yankees lineup was nicknamed Murderer's Row because of the team's batting power. Babe Ruth hit for 60 home runs himself and a 356 average and 164 RBIs. The Yankees swept the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 1927 World Series. They followed that up with a sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals in the 1928 World Series. This was the first time a team had swept in consecutive World Series. In the summer of 1988, the Powers of Pain entered the WWF and challenged Demolition for the Tag Team Championship. During the Elimination Tag Team match at the 1988 Survivor Series, Mr. Fuji attacked Demolition and joined forces with the Powers of Pain. A double turn took place as Demolition turned face and the Powers of Pain turned heel. Interviewed after the contest, Fuji claimed that he had turned on Demolition because since winning the championship, they had become insubordinate and disrespectful towards him, whereas the Powers would be utterly obedient and loyal. Demolition defeated the Powers of Pain and Mr. Fuji in a three-against-two tag team handicap match at WrestleMania V to retain the WWF World Tag Team Championship when they caught Fuji in the Demolition decapitation. That day, Demolition became the longest reigning WWF World Tag Team Champions after breaking the previous 370-day record of the Valiant Brothers. And on May 12, 1989, Demolition's reign exceeded the 409-day reign of the Fabulous Kangaroos with the WWWF United States Tag Team Championship, thus becoming the longest-running holders of any tag team championship in WWF or WWWF history. They would eventually last a reign of 478 days, a reign of world domination. 
That's exactly what the Yankees were on route to do. Big balling and shot calling. Just like in Game 3 of the 1932 World Series against the Cubs, Babe Ruth gestured towards center field and hit the fifth pitch, knocking the ball 500 feet over the center field fence. The Yankees would sweep the Chicago Cubs to win yet another World Series in 1932. This would also be Ruth's last World Series victory as he'd retire in 1935 as a Boston Brave. On August 17, 1933, Lou Gehrig played in his 1,308th consecutive game against the St. Louis Browns, which broke the longest consecutive game's play streak previously held by Everett Scott. This earned him the nickname, the Iron Man. By 1936, the Yankees added a young center fielder by the name of Joseph Paul DiMaggio. Joe Tencho, as he would be called, was an all-star in his rookie year, and he helped the Yankees beat the New York Giants four games to two for his first World Series championship and the franchise's fifth. In a rematch series the following year, the Yankees defeated the Giants again four games to one in the 1937 World Series and swept the Chicago Cubs again in four games in the 1938 World Series. By June 19, 1939, Lou Gehrig's 36th birthday, he was diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, better known as ALS. The prognosis was grim, rapidly increasing paralysis, difficulty in swallowing and speaking, and a life expectancy less than three years, although no impairment of mental functions would occur. Gehrig would retire that summer and delivered a farewell speech on July 4th that's been called Baseball's Gettysburg Address. After WrestleMania V, Demolition started a feud with the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man, and then a feud with the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, who were managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. On the May 27, 1989 Saturday night's main event, the Brain Busters defeated Demolition by disqualification. They finally dropped the titles to the Brain Busters in a two out of three falls match on the July 29th Saturday night's main event following outside interference from Andre the Giant with the chair. As well as looking to regain the belts, Demolition sought revenge on Andre and closure on the Twin Towers. At SummerSlam 1989, King Duggan and Demolition defeated Andre in the Towers in a six-man tag team match where Smash showcased his strength by body slamming both of the Twin Towers. Demolition restarted their feud with the Brain Busters. On the November 4th edition of Superstars, Demolition defeated the Brain Busters to regain their titles and win their second WWF Tag Team Championship. They would lose the titles to the Colossal Connection that December, only to win them back in 1990's WrestleMania 6. After WrestleMania 6, Demolition quietly turned heel for the first time since 1988. This intensified when Brian Adams debuted in WWF and joined the team as Crush, making Demolition a three-man team. Bill Eady, who performed as Axe, had developed an allergy to shellfish, which he attributed to his frequent trips to Japan, and this hospitalized him. So WWF owner and head booker Vince McMahon wanted to add a third member to the team, just in case the illness put Edie out of action for an extended period of time. Crush soon took a more active role, teaming with Smash while Axe faded into the background, becoming more of a manager. With Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig retired, Joe DiMaggio would lead the Yankees to a four-game sweep of the Cincinnati Reds in the 1939 World Series, a four-games-to-one victory over the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1941 World Series, a four-games-to-three victory over the Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1947 World Series, four-games-to-one victory over the Dodgers again in the 1949 World Series, and a four-game sweep of the Philadelphia Phillies in the 1950 World Series as well as a four games to two victory over New York Giants in the 1951 World Series. Joe DiMaggio would finish his career with nine total World Series championships, Lou Gehrig with six, and Babe Ruth with seven. 
DiMaggio would also hold the record for the longest hitting streak of 56 games, a record that still stands. The Demolition Trio would hold the tag team titles until SummerSlam 1990 when they lost to the Hart Foundation in a 2 out of 3 falls match. In that match, Smash and Crush started, but Axe secretly came down later on to substitute himself into the match behind the referee's back. Ultimately, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal interfered and snuffed out the deception. Demolition never recaptured their titles after this loss, and with the newly signed Legion of Doom on the roster, their popularity began to decline. Their tag team title record would stand until 2016 when it was broken by the New Day. The Babe, the Iron Man, and Jolton Joe of the New York Yankees. Axe, Smash, and Crush of the Demolition. Two entities that saw great success for long stretches of time. A long stretch of world domination. A long stretch of demolishing the competition. A long stretch of demolition. And that was Across the Lines. Line Stepper. Today in entertainment history, in 1985, the cartoon Jim premiered. I remember them dealing with real life strife, man. I used to watch it on Cartoon Express on the USA Network back in the day. 1986, the iconic game show Double Dare premiered. 1988, the sitcom Dear John debuted. In 1992, hip hop artist Common releases his debut album, Can I Borrow a Dollar? In 1998, Mac-10 released The Recipe. Phil Collins released a compilation of Phil Collins' bangers. Busy Bone released Heaven's Movie. Prize released Ghetto Superstar. And Cypress Hill released the album 4. In 2000, CSI premiered. In 2004, Ghost Hunters debuted. Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi, haters. According to News1.com, Stacey Dash has been in the news cycle this week after she was arrested for domestic violence. The Trump fanatic's mugshot has been all over social media, but now the full details of her arrest have been released, and her mugshot says she's white. According to Dash's Wikipedia page, her father Dennis Dash is black and her mother Linda Dash is Mexican. She is also the cousin of Damon Dash. Dash has only played black roles in movies and was worked more in the black community than any other demographic. It's not clear if she put down her race as white, but if she did, she certainly has identity issues. In case you missed it, Dash was arrested on September 29th, according to ABC News. The Pasco County Sheriff's Office said Dash, 52, and the victim got into a verbal argument around 7.45 p.m. at an apartment in Newport Ritchie before she pushed and slapped him in the face. According to Hollywood Life, Dash's manager defended the actress in a statement. No charges were pressed by her husband, however. Deputies arrested Miss Dash peacefully as a formality. Miss Dash's husband appeared in court today, September 30th, on her behalf, and Miss Dash was released from Land Lakes Detention Facility. No further legal action is pending, the statement said. According to the arrest report, deputies saw the victim sustain red scratch marks to his left upper arm from being pushed. Back in October of 2018, Page Six reported Jeffrey Marty and Dash married in April of 2018, just 10 days after meeting each other. Like his wife, Marty is also a diehard Trump supporter, so much so that he created a fake social media account to praise 45. 
Jeffrey Marty is best known as the creator of the fake rep Stephen Smith of Georgia, the first congressman to endorse Donald Trump, and a Tea Party gadfly who generates outrage in the Twitterverse, despite constant reminders that he is fictitious, Page Six reported. Dash is claiming Marty and his children lied on her to get her locked up. This is the fourth marriage for 50-plus-year-old Dash. She married producer Brian Lavelle in 1999 and divorced by the mid-2000s. She then married British executive James Maybe, CEO of Sports Logistics in 2005, but divorced by 2006. Her last marriage was to actor Emmanuel Zirup. It's not clear when they married, but they divorced by 2010. Dash has two kids, a son named Austin who was born in 1991, whom she had with singer Christopher Williams, also a daughter named Lola, who was born in 2003 from her first marriage. Stacey Dash really is clueless. I get it, she's mixed, she has a fair skin complexion, but come on now. Really? White people know who white people are, you can't fool them. And plus, she's half Hispanic, half black. Everybody want to get a pass today. Everybody want to get a pass. Everybody want to be white. It pays to be white. Sounds about white. If it ain't white, it ain't right. Yeah, former puppet of Fox News. I used to think she was so fine, but upon further inspection, she smells like swine. <sighs> Confused Stacy Dash. Mixed nut Stacy Dash. Dash for the cash Stacy Dash. Dance for daddy Stacy Dash. This is the same Stacy Dash that thought there shouldn't be a Black History Month. It's unnecessary. I hear if you get close enough to her while she's talking, you can hear the ocean. I just want to see somebody put a pin in her head and just watch her deflate. Really, ho? You think you're white? Come on, man. I know you speak well. I know you have a light skin complexion. But man, to them, especially the people like your husband, you always gonna be a nigga. Always. You a nigga. You always gonna be a nigga. And you ain't gonna stop being a nigga. To them. Your husband's a lawyer. Did you really think you're going to strike him and get away with it? The man is a white Trump supporting lawyer. You bedwench. That's probably how he looks at you. And then when the cops come, you did some Troy McClure shit. Hi, I'm Stacy Dash. You may remember me from such fucking ancient films as Clueless. And I was in that Kanye video. In that one episode of Fresh Prince. Who gives a fuck? That was a fucking century ago. Stacy Dash, thank you for calling the cops so that they could come and arrest you so you can get a reminder that you still a nigga. No matter how rich your husband is, no matter how white he is, no matter how much you dance for Daddy Trump 45. This should have been a nigga wake up call, but I know you're still in a lull of a sleep. Dumbass, Stacy Dash, clueless, confused, mixed nut Stacy Dash. Continue going down this aisle, continue going down this road, so you can continue stutter-stepping and tripping over yourself, thinking that you get a pass, that you got the white, green light. The green light to be white. Nope, never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Word to in vogue. Fuck you, Stacy Dash, and fuck you, Stacy Dash. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Uh, special message to my white listeners. When I use the term honky, I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about honkies. I'm not talking about Caucasians. I'm talking about honkies. Lie, lie, lie.
Hope you know the difference between the two. If not, keep tuning in to Over the Culture Podcast. Every new episode, Sundays. Y'all stay cool now. And safe. Peace. Ohio! The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.